Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome tonight to our Bible study, and I hope you all have had a good week so far. Uh, let's go before the Lord and ask him to bless our time of study, our meeting tonight. Uh, let's bow before him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your grace and your mercy that you have lavished upon us. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather as your people tonight and to study your precious word. I pray that you would impart your wisdom to us as we open its pages and that uh, we would learn the eternal truths that you have for us here. Father, we pray that you would bless this time of fellowship and we thank you for the grace that you have given to us in Christ. And it's in his name, Lord, that we pray. Amen. Last week, we started to walk through the book of Ruth together, and we looked at the first five verses together, which uh, describe a scene of intense loss and deprivation. Uh, the opening verses of Ruth describe a family from Judah, from the area of Bethlehem, and it was a time in which there was a lot of disorder, a lot of turmoil and chaos in the land of Israel. It was during the time of the judges. And in the time of the judges, there was no king. And, and so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And there was a lot of disorder and chaos and a lot of apostasy, people turning away from the Lord, people turning away from the laws of Moses and doing whatever they felt like doing. And so there was a lot of injustice, a lot of uh, violence. Some of the darkest days that you can read about in the Bible are in the book of Judges. And it's in the midst of that context that we read about a family, uh, Elimelech and his wife Naomi, from Bethlehem in Judah. And the opening verses of Ruth describe a famine. And we don't know exactly why that famine came, it could have come because of the Lord's hand of chastening, of discipline on Israel because of their rebellion during that time of the days of the judges. Uh, we read in the book of Judges that there were times when the Lord did that. He, he brought uh, enemies, difficulties their way because they were not following the ways of the Lord. So it's possible that famine came as a result of that. Uh, we don't know for sure, but this family, Elimelech and Naomi, they make the hard decision to move to Moab, which was an enemy of Israel. They were what you might call a long-distant cousin of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But for most of their history, Israel and Moab didn't get along. And there was a lot of tension. In fact, during the time of the judges, you find uh, where the Moabites exercised dominance over the land of Israel and mistreated them. But they find themselves in this difficult position of having to go to Moab just to find food, uh, to find a, a place where they can just live and survive. And so they move away. They go to a foreign land, a foreign people, foreign culture, foreign language. And while they're there, all the men in their life die. Elimelech, the patriarch, dies. Naomi is left as a widow. Her two sons, after they had married Moabite wives, her two sons die. And so she, what you have is a family of widows, which is a very vulnerable, unprotected situation in the ancient world. And that, that's where we pick up in verse number six. And I want to just go back and read verses one through five. 
and move into verse 6 tonight, losing and leaving in verses 6 through 14. Uh, Verse 1 says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come home with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. What we see in the opening part of this passage in verses 6 and 7 is that the house of bread has bread again. And that's what's kind of ironic about this story, is that this family, Elimelech, Naomi, their two sons, they're from Bethlehem. And the Hebrew word Bethlehem literally means house of bread. And so what an irony it is for the house of bread to have nothing to eat. And they were compelled to go to Moab to find food. But now in verse number six, it says that Naomi heard that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. And so she got the news. Doesn't say how, but the news reached her. The news reached her in all the way in Moab that God had provided food for his people. And it's interesting because here in verse number six is the phrase, the Lord gave, or the Lord provided. And the only other time you see that phrase 
is later on at the end of the book of Ruth when the Lord provides a son for Boaz and Ruth. And it says, the Lord gave. And so the Lord gave, he provided for his people, meaning that the two instances of the Lord's provision take place at the beginning and at the end of the book of Ruth, which kind of serve as bookends that show us that God's providential providing, guiding hand is watching over his people through the whole story. And so God is providing, God is giving, God is the one who sustains. And what's interesting here is that uh, Naomi and Elimelech, her family, they had been living in Moab for at least 10 years. And the Moabites did not worship the one true God. The Moabites did not worship Yahweh. They worshiped, their patron God was Chemosh. And they actually worked, worshiped many gods, but their main patron God, if you will, was Chemosh. And what this takes note of is the fact that Naomi, when she heard about bread being in the house of bread again, who did she attribute it to? Not to Chemosh, not to any of the Moabite gods, but to Yahweh, to the Lord. So even during that whole time in Moab, she retained her faith in the Lord. And when food came back to her people, it was God who provided it. In the ancient world, it was common for the people to have different gods who gave or different things or who watched over different areas of their lives. And so you had a God of fertility or a God of crops. You had, you had a God who blessed your family. You had a God of rain, of thunder. But in the Israelite worldview, in the biblical worldview, God controls everything, doesn't he? Every good gift comes from God. And so he is the one who provides for his people. And I think there's some grace here in the fact that the news, the good news reached her. The good news reached her. That in itself is God's good providence, isn't it? And it reminds me of how the gospel comes to us. The gospel comes to us through the message, through the good news. And here, Naomi, even though far away, the good news still finds her in the Lord's providence. And she hears it. And not only does she hear it, but she believes, doesn't she? She believes because she's willing to pack up and make that long journey all the way back to Judah. She believes this news that she's heard. And so the Lord has provided for his people again. And it says that she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. And what's interesting about that is that for Orpah and Ruth, that wasn't their home. They weren't return, they weren't getting ready to return home. If they were going to go with Naomi, they were going to go to a new place they had never been before. The returning home was for Naomi, wasn't it? That was her home. But her daughters-in-law began to make this long journey with her. And in verse number seven, it says, With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. This is, you can imagine this journey. It is a journey of tears, isn't it? 
It's a journey of loss. It's a journey of disappointment. It's a journey of empty-handedness, of a woman who left Bethlehem and Judah with much, but she's not coming back with any of the people that she left with. Her husband, her two sons are gone. She's, she's heading out down this long road of loss and loneliness. And that's what we see in verses 8 through 10, is her setting out to go on this long road home after loss. And it is an incredibly burdensome and hard thing for her to have to do. Verse 8 says, Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. So Naomi says, don't come with me. This journey is too hard. This journey is too long. And in essence, Naomi is here, I think, is, I think, acting in good faith, in goodwill toward her daughters-in-law and basically telling them, I have no guarantees for you. There's nothing that I can promise you back in Bethlehem and Judah. You're better off staying here. You're better off with your family. And she says, go back home, each of you to your mother's home. Some have suggested that this means that their fathers had already died as well. If that's the case, then you have grief all around, don't you? In which all of the husbands, the men, the fathers of these two, of these three families are all gone. But another way of understanding it possibly too is that uh, this phrase, your mother's home, could be a reference to Naomi's hope that her daughters would be able to go back home, find husbands, and become mothers themselves and, and give, give birth to their own children. And so she's wishing goodwill upon them. And in fact, she prays it as a wish. May the Lord... And notice the all capital letters. This is Yahweh, the God of Israel. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. This word that she uses here in verse 8 is the covenant word of God's love and faithfulness that you find all the way throughout the Old Testament. It is his chesed, his uh, it, it can be translated different ways depending on the context. It can mean faithfulness. It can mean uh, love. It can mean mercy, goodwill. Uh, it is it is God's loving, generous, goodwill commitment to his people. And Naomi is wishing that upon her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Go back home and, and may God, she's praying, God, may he deal with you kindly, with has said with grace and kindness, just as you have shown kindness, faithfulness, and loyalty to me, even though your husbands are dead and you really don't have a commitment to me, yet here you are walking down this road with me. You have shown faithfulness, loyalty, kindness to me. May God repay you for that kindness and blessing back in the homes of your families. But verse 9 says, um, 
that they wanted to stay with her. Verse 9 says, May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She wants them to be taken care of. She wants them to be secure. She wants them to be able to have a life. And the clearest path forward that she sees for them is back home in Moab for them to be able to have that opportunity. And so she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, no, we will go back with you to your people. And so both Orpah and Ruth at this point uh, exhibit a kind of loyalty, a commitment to Naomi that says, no, we don't want to go back home. We want to go with you. But then we see Naomi, especially in verses 11 through 14, really dealing with the weight of the circumstances that she finds herself in and seeing it as the hard, bitter providence of God on her life. And in essence says to her daughters-in-law, you don't want any part of this. You don't want to come with me. In verses 11 through 14, we seem to see Naomi willing to drink this bitter cup of loneliness. She says in verse number 11, Naomi said, no, go back home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. This reference in verse 11, 12, and 13 to, um, to Naomi saying, I don't have a husband. I don't have any more sons. Even if I were to get a husband tonight and then have sons, you, it's not feasible, not possible for you to wait for them to become your husbands. What is that referring to? It is referring to the Old Testament Levitical concept of leveret marriage, in which uh, we see it described in the law of Moses. And this is one of the instances where we see it kind of worked out in a story or narrative form. But what it is, is in the Old Testament Mosaic law, if a, a man died childless, then his brother was to take upon him the responsibility to marry the widow of his brother and raise up children. And the first child that was born to that new union, that first child would be regarded as the heir, as the descendant of the deceased husband, the original deceased husband. And the whole purpose of this was so that the family line and the the carrying forth of the inheritance of the promised land could go forward from one generation to the next. And, and that line could continue on. And so that was that concept of levirate marriage. And that's what she's referring to here. She says, both of my sons are dead. I'm old now. It's not likely, maybe not even possible, that I could have any more sons. 
you're certainly not going to wait around for them. So go back home. Find husbands among your own Moabite people, among that your own family can help you with. And so she sees no path for them if they return with her to the land of Judah. And then notice at the end of verse 13, we really see in Naomi's words here what appears to be her wrestling with the, the hard hand of God's providence on her life. Because she says to her daughters-in-law, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. When you read this, it, it almost comes across as someone who is given up hope. It, it comes across almost as if someone who feels that they have been cursed by God. And that God's hand of curse is on them. And and in a way, you can't really blame Naomi for feeling that because of all the things that we read about in verses 1 through 5, it seems like a domino effect of the, of the Lord's hand, heavy hand of judgment against her, doesn't it? Famine, uh, going to a foreign land, living as a stranger in a foreign land, becoming a widow, losing all of her sons. And it feels like one thing right after the next, it's almost like another story of Job, of one thing right after the next, and, and bearing this heavy weight of, of difficulty. And she sees clearly the Lord's sovereignty in all of this, doesn't she? So Naomi is not one who, who disregards God's sovereignty. That was never a question in her mind. But the problem for Naomi at this point is that she doesn't have the vision to see what God's sovereignty is doing. So she never doubts God's sovereignty, that his hand is in everything. But what she's having a hard time seeing right now is how it's good. She doesn't see how it's good. And all she feels right now is the weight of the bitterness, of the hardship. And almost, and we've done this before sometimes too, and, and we're no stranger to this, that when it seems like everything is going wrong in our lives, we are tempted to compare ourselves with other people, and we're almost tempted to take the hardships and the bitterness and the difficulties and compare it up against others and say, my hardships, my difficulties are worse than yours, and almost wear it as a badge of honor of martyrdom, almost. And that's almost what Naomi seems to be doing here of my, my curse, my weight, my bitterness is worse than yours. But hadn't they lost husbands too? Orpah and Ruth, they lost their husbands. They lost their father-in-law. And if uh, one way of understanding that earlier verse of go back to your mother's house, they possibly have lost their fathers too. So they have their own bitterness to deal with, but this is Naomi at this point in the story looking inward. She's looking inward. She's focused on what has happened to her, and she compares it to them and says, this is too much. This is too much for me to handle, and you certainly don't want to be with me. Almost as if God has cursed me 
the last place where you want to be is with me. And that's what she says at the very end of the verse, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Or the Lord's hand has dealt very bitterly with me. You don't want to come with me. And so she feels almost like in a, in a kind of a martyr way, I'm going to take this cup of loneliness, this cup of bitterness, and I'm going to drink it myself, and you go back home. You go home to your families, and I'm going to walk this long road of loneliness and loss, and I'm going to hang on to this cup of bitterness myself. But here's the beauty of the story. Verse 14 says that they wept aloud again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah here is like uh, a foil for Ruth. Ruth is going to become a main character in the story, become a focus of the story, and we don't hear about Orpah again from this verse on. She becomes like the contrast, the the foil in the story to who Ruth is. Ruth is the one who stays. Ruth is the one who uh, verbalizes her commitment, her loyalty. Ruth is the one who becomes the channel through which God provides for Naomi for the future, and Orpah just kind of fades off into the background. Orpah leaves. She goes back home, but Ruth clung to her. And this is nothing else, nothing short of the grace of God and Naomi's life. Aren't you glad sometimes that God doesn't let us do what we are determined to do? Naomi was determined to go home alone, wasn't she? She was determined to go home alone. She was determined to bear that weight, that burden of bitterness. She was determined to live this life of loneliness and of difficulty. But God, in his grace, moved in the heart of Ruth so that Naomi would not be able to do that. God moved in the heart of Ruth, I believe, awakened faith within her. And Ruth becomes a model of faith, of commitment, of loyalty, and in so doing, becomes a channel of grace from God to Naomi. And God does not let Naomi suffer and drift off into oblivion. God holds on to Naomi. Why? Because his plan for her is not over yet, is it? It's not over yet. Now, she is dealing with loss. That's real. She's dealing with bitterness. That's real. She's dealing with loneliness. That's real. And in the midst of what God is doing in our lives, those difficulties are real, aren't they? They bring tears, just like we saw tears in this passage. They bring tears. They bring grief. The losses and the loneliness and the difficulties that we experience, they are real. But even in the midst of those losses and disappointments, God never neglects to provide for his people, does he? He never neglects to provide for his people, and his providentially guiding hand is still moving for his people. And that's what we see in this passage. Even in 
our greatest seasons of loss and loneliness, God continues to provide for and providentially guide his people. This, so far, verses 1 through 14, has been a story of loss and of sadness, hasn't it? It's been a story of loss and of sadness. But in the midst of that loss and sadness, there is a little ray of hope, of light, isn't there? When the good news came that God had visited his people and provided bread for them. In the midst of that loss, the good news of God's provision came. And another ray of light begins to peek through at the very end of verse number 14, when it says that Ruth clung to her, stuck to her like glue. She would not let her go. That is another ray of light that God was not only providing for his people, but that he was also providentially guiding his people. And that he would not let Naomi go home alone, even though she was determined to do it and bear that weight, God would not let her go home alone. But he sent Ruth along with her. Why? Because he had a providential plan, didn't he? And he was continuing to provide. She can't see it yet. She can't see it. She doesn't know how it's going to work out. But God is providing and he is guiding. That's a hard thing for us to remember in seasons of loss, isn't it? In seasons of loss, loneliness of disappointment, it is hard to see God's hand. It's hard to see that it's still there, but it's behind the scenes, isn't it? It's behind the scenes. It's still moving, still guiding, still providing. And what we have to do, unlike Naomi, is we have to get our eyes up, don't we? Naomi still had her eyes down. She had her eyes focused on the circumstances, on the difficulties, on the bitterness. We have to get our eyes up. And this whole story of Ruth can help us to do that because it shows us that even in the midst of loss, God is still there. He's still working. He's still moving. And so God, may, may God help us to trust even in times of loss and loneliness and to remind us that he's still there. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, our God, we thank you that you are the God who is ever-present in the lives of your people. We thank you that even in times of disappointment and loss, that you are still working. You are weaving together a grand tapestry that is beautiful and that shows your handiwork, your grace and love that is at work in the lives of your children. Lord, sustain us in the midst of difficulty and loss. And Lord, remind us of the truths of your word. Open our eyes to see uh, little glimpses of your hand moving for our good. Lord, I pray that you'd bless your people, bless those that are going through times of difficulty and encourage and strengthen them. And Lord, bless our church family and help us, Lord, always to trust in you. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.